0: Once again, we want to welcome you to another online service and also an in-person service as we head toward Christmas. It's hard to believe that this is the last Sunday before Christmas, and on, on Friday evening we have a candlelight service, and everyone is invited to come just pre-register for the 6 o'clock service, the candlelight service on Christmas Eve. Last week we started a series called Behind the Scenes, and we were talking about, since the birth of Jesus, how the church has created this environment where we have put the Christmas story into music, into movies, stage productions. Even churches have tried to do stage productions, even with live animals coming into the sanctuary. All these things that try to present the Christmas story in a, in a unique and powerful way. But it was always done, these, these events, these stories, these productions were always done in a neat and tidy fashion, almost in a sanitized way, in a safe way, trying to present the Christmas story as a very wholesome and clean uh, story. And last week, as we began this, this series Behind the scenes, we started with Joseph and we talked about how Joseph was totally afraid when his world turned upside down. Then we also engaged Mary and we talked about her feeling uncomfortable. She was socially uncomfortable and had all these accusing eyes that were upon her. She was also physically uncomfortable as she traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, a distance of 120 kilometers on a donkey, donkey, when she was obviously pre, uh, very, very pregnant. And then we talked about the innkeeper last week, who behind the scenes seemed to be very occupied. He wasn't an, an evil man who was trying to reject this pregnant woman who showed up at. He was just simply busy keeping all the people that had filled up his his inn and all the rooms that were filled. He was full. He was just simply a busy, busy. Man. And then lastly, last week we talked about the first visitors, the the wise men that came, the shepherds that came, and we, we talked about how they were awestruck and how amazed they were and how they worshiped the newborn king. The takeaway from all of that, my takeaway at least, was I need to be a person to respond to the Christmas event. In fact, To respond in such a way as the shepherds and the wise men responded. To be amazed and to be astonished as I come face to face with a Savior, the Savior of the world. I need to be more awestruck and I, I need to be more engaged in my faith to Jesus so that He can be a part of my life and change every element of my life. If you and I were to have a conversation today... If you and I were to sit down and converse about the Christmas event, I think all of us, perhaps even the majority of, would ultimately say, I want, I want my Christian experience, my faith in Jesus, my life in Christ, to be at a place where truly Jesus is the center of my life. Where, where God is present in my life, where his presence invades my life to such a degree that he directs every aspect of my life. I think if we were honest with one another, I think all of us deep down want to have a personal, genuine, authentic relationship with God. I think we would want our lives to be typified by a life where we are truly engaged with Christ. I think most of us in this place, and some of you watching even uh, online today, would probably say that that would be a goal, a direction, something that you would aspire to. Unfortunately, I personally believe that one of the reasons we don't live or have this experience with Christ is that we tend to rely on mostly on our ingenuity, our own power for living, rather than truly submitting our will to God's power in our life. So many people live a life that is dependent on their decision-making, their ingenuity, their own power, and we have a hard, hard time Trusting, truly trusting God that God is capable of working His dynamic power in our lives. And in the process of those, those thoughts, and in the process of not living that way, we, we somehow miss out on living and experiencing God's power in our lives. Today we want to look behind the scenes again, and, and what we want to talk about, and we, we talk about the Christmas event, We must understand, in this Christmas story, we must understand that God's power was extremely evident and working behind the scenes in a dynamic and powerful way. And to understand this phenomena, we need to look at a very unique character in the Christmas story, and that is the character of King Herod. Now, King Herod was not a warm and fuzzy person. In fact, you might call King Herod, who was called King Herod the Great, you might call him, instead of a warm, compassionate, friendly person, probably you would classify him as psycho. He was a horrible, terrible man. But there is something about this person in the Christmas story that you need to see and that you need to understand. Because behind the scenes, when we look at Herod or when we study Herod, what we discover is that Herod relies on his own power. You see, his, his involvement in this Christmas story outlines for us the dynamics between human power versus God's power. That's what we need to underscore when we look at the life and the time of King Herod. It distinguishes human power versus God's power. And so in Matthew chapter 2, we, I don't have time for a whole full-blown historical lesson on Herod the Great, but nevertheless, let me just say this, that King Herod the Great was a ruthless evil, a person whose life was filled with lies and murder and adultery, manipulation and treachery. That is the description of this king, a king who ruled over the Jewish people during the time of Christ's birth. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. Now notice these words, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men came from the eastern lands. They arrived in Jerusalem asking, now let me pause here for a second. Let me pause here and tell you why King Herod is greatly, deeply disturbed in this story. As we continue on, you need to look at this, verse 2. Notice what it says. Where is the newborn king, these wise men who came? We saw his stars that rose, and we have come to worship him. And King Herod, notice what it says here. King Herod was deeply disturbed. You want to underline that if you're looking in your Bibles. Deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now let's just pause here and, and look at why would Herod be deeply disturbed? He was deeply disturbed because he was deeply afraid. He was afraid because Herod himself, the king of the Jewish nation, under Roman occupation, while he was the king of the Jews, he was afraid that Jesus was going to come and steal his throne and steal his crown. That's why the Bible says he was deeply disturbed. Now, I don't have any kingly experience I've never been a king I've never ruled over a land I don't have any experience being a king but I would have to believe that if you're a king and another king is born into your region or into your country and you happen to be a very insecure king or insecure person somehow that is going to cause some serious contention within your own life. In fact, it, will probably, it would probably muster up some great fear. And that's what King Herod was experiencing. It goes on to say in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. No, notice these words. King Herod then, he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked, Where? is the Messiah to be born. Now, you have to understand, King Herod was not a godly man. We just gave a description of what kind of a person he was. An evil person, not a godly man whatsoever. But he calls these scholars together because he was smart enough and he knew from his own historical understanding of the prophetic words The nation of Israel and King Herod knew that for many years there was a Messiah that was prophesied. Now, the people had a unique view of what this Messiah was going to do because the people thought that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to come as a political ruler and that he was going to take the throne and that he was going to overthrow the occupation of the Roman Empire. So here is a king, an evil king, who's understanding that there was going to be a Messiah who is going to overthrow his king and he is being and feeling threatened. We go to verse 7 of Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod called this private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them, he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, you go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, when you go behind the scenes, And you see this king, King Herod, who was so occupied and so intent on getting rid of Jesus that he became obsessed with it. That's all he is thinking about. How do I get rid of this Messiah? What am I going to do? How am I going to manipulate these wise men who have given me this information how am I going, he's, he's calculate. you can see the calculations that are going on in his mind. And in this verse, he is trying to turn these wise men who've come from the east, he's trying to turn them into double agents. So much so was Herod obsessed that he does the unthinkable. And when you skip down to verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2, look what it says. You know what happened. You've read this story many times. The wise men did not go back to King Herod. They realized through a dream, the Lord appeared to them in a dream, if you recall, and they went back to their lands. But notice what King Herod does. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And he sent soldiers... Here here you see the character of King Herod. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Jerusalem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. So what you see here in this short caption of a story is that King Herod wipes out an entire population of young boys under the age of two who he thought could be the potential king and dethrone him. Now, if anybody had power, if anybody knew about power, it was King Herod. The king, king of Israel, he had incredible power, and he leveraged that power He talked about his power. He was was threatened by anyone who tried to usurp his power. But here's the key that you must understand. Here's the key that you have to understand in this story. No matter how much you talk about the power of King Herod, it was just human power. Certainly, you would say he had massive power. Absolutely, he had massive power. He had enough power to kill thousands and thousands of innocent babies. But it was still just human power. And you must understand this. You must understand that human power will always come to an end. Human power will always wear out. Human power is limited and will always run out. Because if you go to verse 19, if you skip down to verse 19, we're not going to read it, take my word for it. In verse 19, the Bible says a few verses later, Notice this, it says in verse 19, two simple words, Herod died. That was the end of his power. He died, he's now dead, he is done, kaput. Whatever you want to say about his reign, no matter how much power King Herod had, his reign came to an end and his power Ended. There was nothing left of him any further. And you must understand that, that human power, human power comes to an end. Human power ultimately has to and can and will succumb to the power of reality of God's power. So when Jesus was born, Herod thought that Jesus came to threaten him. When in actuality, Jesus came to save him. Herod thought that Jesus came to make his life uncomfortable. When in actuality, Jesus was born and came into this world to bring comfort to Herod's life. Herod thought that Jesus came into this world to steal his power away. But Jesus came to give him real, internal Power. You see, Christmas, friends, listen, Christmas is all about power. Christmas is all about power. That's what Christmas is. When we celebrate Christmas, when you celebrate Christmas later this week, Christmas is all about God's power in action. It was God's power that invaded humanity with divinity. That's the birth of Jesus. It was God's power that changed natural laws. Jesus was born of a virgin. That was God's power that changed natural laws. It was God's power that foiled the plans of a powerful ruler like Herod. It was God's power that orchestrated All the prophetic words from the Old Testament. And it was God's power that fulfilled the promises that he made in the Old Testament of a coming Messiah into the world. It was God's power that brought fulfillment to that. It was God's power that personally communicated to his people and guided the wise men that we read about and also guided Joseph to safety when Herod went on to a rampage. See, Christmas, friends, Christmas is all about God's power, God's presence, the God-man Jesus coming into this world and allowing us to have the power so that we can live and experience the peace that He came to bring into this world. That's the summary of Christmas. If you want to summarize Christmas, look at this statement. The presence of God reveals the power of God and brings the peace of God into your life. That's Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of God, God coming into this world, revealing the power of God and what he can accomplish through his power in the world will ultimately bring peace into the lives of people who submit themselves to God's power Not to man's power. What I want to do a little bit now is to switch and say what this power can do in your life. We're talking about this power that came into the world and dynamically changed the course of history. What can it do in your life? How do you live in such a way that you experience the power of God? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 says, notice these words, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. Now I'm guessing as we read this verse that most of you in here and those of you who are watching online, we would not question the fact that God is powerful. Just look around. We see creation. We see the magnificence of God's display of power. But probably some of us would say, yeah, I understand that God is powerful. And yes, I believe that his power is acceptable f- for my life. And I read about his power in the, in, in the world. And I, I, I understand the power of God invading history and humanity and showing up in people's lives. And, but is this, is this really, this power... Available to me, accessible to me living in the 21st century? Psalm 68, verse 35 says, God is awesome in his sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. That applies to us, friends. Praise be to God. His strength and his power apply to us. In other words, I can count on God's power in my life when I'm fearful and afraid. I can count on God's power in my life when I'm going through uncomfortable situations. I can count on God's power when I am stressed with all kinds of things to accomplish, and my life is occupied with all kinds of situations and calendar issues. I can count on God's power to help me navigate through that. Listen, I can count on God's power and so can you. You can count on God's power when you are lonely or when you are when you've been wounded other people you can count on God's power when you are afraid you can count on God's power when you are fearful when you are questioning when you have been betrayed by people when you are personally frustrated in life you can count on God's power during moments of anxiousness you can count on God's power when you feel depressed when you have doubts you can count on God's power to invade and be a part of your life you say how do you know that? Look what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 and 29. Have you, ever, have you never heard, have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? Listen, he never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. It goes on to say in verse 30, even youth, even the youth become weak and tired young men will fall in exhaustion but notice this but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength they will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint you need to circle those words in the Bible I love those words. I love the idea that God never loses his power. He never gets tired. He is never occupied. He never gets weary. God never goes to bed. God never loses his energy. I can barely make a sandwich for lunch without wanting to take a nap. But God never naps. That's good news, friends. That's great news. God's power is available in your life and my life when we need it the most. When we feel the weakest, God's power is available to us. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my power works best in weakness. Did you see that? My power works best in weakness. Now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me there's an interesting dynamic that happens i stand before you right now some of you are watching via a camera some of you are here in person i stand before you you look at me and i'm alone on this stage but can i tell you i am not alone You may think I'm alone on this stage, and you may physically see that I'm a lone person on this stage. But I can tell you right now that I am not alone. Because there is a dynamic that happens when you stand in the presence and live in the presence of God and you you proclaim the truth of God, there is an intermingling, a mixing of my spirit with God's spirit. And even though you may think I'm standing alone here, there is a mixing, a mingling that is happening here that is the power of God expressed in my life. And yes, I may feel weak at this very moment, but through God's power, I can speak the truth to you. That's how it works in life. You have to believe and you have to understand that as a follower of Christ you're not alone. The Christmas story is all about power. Emmanuel, Christ with us. You say, I'm just a regular Christian. Yeah, I love God and everything. But I'm stressed out. I'm fearful. There are some relationships that are in trouble. I'm heartbroken. I have High cholesterol, I don't know if God answers my prayer. I don't see God's power in me. So how can I get God's power? How can I live in God's power? Well, let me tell you something. First of all, you have to admit this. You have to admit that there is a need in your life. I access God's power. If you want to access God's power, can I encourage you to admit that there's a need in your life. It's simply coming to a place and saying, God, my, in my situation, I, I just don't feel I can do it in my own power. I need your power. See, that's admitting need. And, let, and let's be very, very honest. We as people... We don't find it difficult to admit that we have a need when we are in pain. When you are struggling and going through difficult situations, you're wounded and lonely or hurting, it's pretty easy to say, God, I need your power in the situation that I'm facing right now. It's easy to say that. But it's a different story. It's a... More difficult thing to do when you're living a life on easy street. When everything is going absolutely fine. And there are no difficulties, there are no problems. It's a lot more difficult to say, I have needs in my life. I, I just have a difficulty admitting that I have a need when everything is going fine. Because our life is so, so sort of on a cruise control, we're just going. And why do I need God's power in my life? Everything is so good right now. I don't need anything. I'm fine. First Peter five verse six says, "Yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor." What does that mean? It means don't live your life prideful. Can I just summarize it for you? Give you a paraphrase? Don't live your life in pride, with pride. See, I think we should adopt a slogan, create a slogan for our life. All of us should adopt this slogan. I can't, God can, so I'm going to let him. That should be the slogan of our lives. I can't. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough power. In fact, I live my life pretty much in weakness. Most of us live our lives in weakness. I can't do a lot of things, but God can. So I'm going to let him. That's submitting myself, that's reducing myself to the place where I'm humbly relinquishing control and saying, God, I just submit my life to you, whatever I'm going through, I'm going to trust you to carry me through the most difficult heartaches and circumstances I face in life. The second thing is, you need to plug into God. You need to plug into God's power source. Very, very simple spiritual truth is, is things work best when they are plugged in. Like a toaster, a toaster doesn't work if it's not plugged in. It's got to have a power source. If you want to make toast in your life in the morning, you've got to plug the toaster in. I don't care how pretty your toaster is. I don't even care how much your toaster costs. I don't even care if your toaster grew up in the church kitchen its entire life. It will not work if it's not plugged in. You've got to have a power source to make toast in your life. I've been, around, I've been around a long time in church. I've heard all kinds of excuses when it comes to church. Excuses not to attend church. But if people took those excuses for not going to church and applied them to other important areas of their life, you begin to see the inconsistencies of how their logic is, how inconsistent their logic is. For example, about washing. the ten reasons not to wash. You Want to hear some of them? And apply that to not going to church. Ten reasons not to wash. I was forced to as a child. Number two, people make soap are only after your money. I wash only on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. People who wash are hyper critics. They think they are cleaner than everyone else. There are so many different kinds of soap, I can't decide which soap to use. I used to wash, but washing is so boring, I stopped. None of my friends wash. The bathroom is never warm enough in the winter and cool enough in the summer. I'll start washing when I get older and dirtier. I can't spare the time to wash. See how ridiculous? Those conversations? I've had those conversations with people in the church and in the community who say things like, I used to, I used to be plugged into God things. I used to be. I used to be plugged into a relationship with God, and then they tell your story, and you begin to see what happens. And they say things like, "I I unplugged. I, I got into other things. I plugged into my own agenda, my own dreams, got in the way, and my own goals. And I found my own way. And and then and then when things happen in life, they have the audacity to blame God for everything that's going on and, and wrong in their life. They've unplugged from God, and they've unplugged from spirit things, And they've gone their own way. But now, by their decision, they're blaming God for everything that's happening in their life. John chapter 5, 15, verse 5, says these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, notice this, apart from me, You can do nothing. Apart from me, you live in your own power. Apart from me, you plug into your own directions in life. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. Back in 1972, the National Aeronautics Space Administration in 1972 launched a spacecraft called Pioneer 10. I don't know if you follow that weighing 250 kilograms. This, this spacecraft was supposed to only travel to Jupiter and photograph the moons of Jupiter, and, and they were, it, was, it was supposed to beam back data about, to the Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field. And as it got closer to Jupiter in November of 1973, it reached Jupiter, but the gravitational pull in Jupiter hurled pioneer 10 further into space it passed saturn it passed uranus it went past neptune it went past pluto in 1997 pioneer 10 was 10 billion miles or kilometers excuse me 10 billion kilometers from the sun In 2003, it was 12 billion kilometers from the sun. And it was still beaming back information to Earth, to the scientists on Earth. This thing that was only supposed to last three years is now way out in outer space, 12 billion kilometers away, and it's still sending information and the signals listen to this this is a f- fascinating statistic the signals that emanate from this this spacecraft pioneer 10 come from an 8 watt transmitter that is no more powerful than a night light that you use in your house today right now pioneer 10 is 18.3 billion kilometers from earth It's traveling at 12 kilometers per second. And it's currently headed, and I'll just look this up, it's currently headed to the next constellation of Taurus. Unbelievable. It was only designed to last three years. And it's still going. Since 1972, this spacecraft is still Hurling through space. Billions of miles. And it's still transmitting information of the galaxies that are way out there. So it is when we are connected to God. You may think, I have nothing to offer. I, have, I, I just have nothing. I'm weak. I have no talents, no abilities. Listen, if, if scientists can work through an 8-watt Eight watt transistor. Don't you think that God can work through someone who has eight watts of abilities? I've heard people say, "I don't. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to do. Any, I just don't have anything to offer." Listen, God cannot work in your life if you believe that you have nothing to offer. God cannot work in your life and through you if you quit. And remove yourself from being plugged into the source. But to somebody who has submitted themselves and say, I'm going to stay in this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hang in there. I'm going to just pursue and, and move through constantly. I can tell you this. God's power, no matter how weak you seem to feel, or no matter how weak you are in spirit or in body, God's power can enable you to do fantastic, great things in his kingdom. And then step three, and I'll close with this. Step three, you've got to step out in faith. God's power works only in connection with our faith. Stepping out in faith means that I'm going to choose to follow God even before his power shows up. That's the key word, before. I step out in faith, I believe in faith, and I move in faith before God's power shows up. That's what faith is. I'm going to trust, I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to trust that God is going to meet me there. I'm trusting God to act. I'm trusting that God's going to be there in the future for me. I'm going to keep moving forward because I know God is there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the confidence. Faith is the confidence. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. Faith gives us the assurance about things that we cannot see. Now let's go back to the Christmas story. Let's go back to Herod. Remember Herod? King, a powerful man. By human standards, a powerful human being, the king of Israel. And contrary to Herod, you've got Joseph. By the eyes of the world, not a very powerful man, just an inept carpenter, bottom rung of the society, blue collar, rough hands, working with wood, just an ordinary person. An ordinary dude. But what is the difference? The difference is that Herod relied on his own power as king. Whereas Joseph relied on the power of God and stepped out in faith. Three times in Matthew chapter 2, three times God asked Joseph to do something. And even though Joseph was afraid and scared, he does it anyway. He stepped out in faith. God asked Joseph, I want you to marry your fiance, this pregnant virgin Mary. I want, and Joseph steps out and acts in obedience. I want you to marry her, God says. Joseph steps out and does it. I want you to leave Bethlehem before King Herod tries to kill the baby Jesus. I want you to leave, and I want you to go to Egypt. Joseph steps out and moves out in faith. Then after Herod dies, Joseph is told to go back to Israel. And even though he is afraid, and even though he doesn't know how God is going to show up, he keeps stepping out in faith and walking in obedience. And every time he does, God's power meets him. And that's the difference between Joseph and King Herod. Now if you're anything like me, if you're anything like me, I would prefer God's power to show up first before I step out in faith. I want God's power to show up and tell me to do the right thing. But God shows up when I honor Him and I follow His word And I say to him, God, I submit to you, first and foremost, before anything, I'm going to move forward in you. God will always meet us. He will always meet us. He's never late. See, we get nervous when things are getting to the 11th hour and things are kind of dicey and things are going to flip on us. And we get nervous and we start making all kinds of plans and accommodations but let me tell you something, you continue to remain faithful in God and follow Him. No matter what situation confronts you, God will always show up. Christmas, my friends, we've got to remember this, is all about, the Christmas celebration is all about God's power. God's presence came, Emmanuel, God with us, and He wants to give us His power that circumvented the power of King Herod. He wants to give that power that created the environment for the birth of Jesus to come. He wants to give that power into your life so that you can have peace. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5, where the apostle Paul writes, I did this so you, so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Of God. That's the Christmas story. I did this. God is saying to us. The Christmas story. That you celebrate. I did this. So that you. When you believe in the Christmas event. Would not trust in human power. Human wisdom. But that you would come to see. The power of God. Displayed. And the same power that I displayed in Matthew chapter 2 is the same power that can operate in your life today. Because since Jesus is the central figure or central character in the Christmas story, if you want the power of God, you've got to embrace the person of Jesus in your life. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning, and we don't want to rely on our power any further. We want to step out, and we want to trust you in your power, and we believe, God, no matter what we are going through, in our human weakness, we want to see you meet us at our greatest point of need. And Father, we make a declaration. We make a commitment to stay plugged in. We want to stay connected to you. We want to be dependent upon you. We want to rely on your power that operates and works in our life. We don't understand how your presence infiltrates and works and does things behind the scenes. We don't understand a lot of that, God. We don't fully understand. But Lord, we know you enough to know that you came into this world, you came into this world born as a small baby, as a child, to redeem the world and to remove the sins of the world. Help me to understand, God, that on the cross, you paid for our sins and you've brought us peace. May we tap into that peace, oh God, I pray, and let your power be fully displayed in our lifetime, in our lives. Right now, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Will you stand with me here in the sanctuary? Those of you at home, will you join with us? You may want to stand in your living room or in your bedroom, wherever you are watching. Stand with us as we sing one more anthem of praise to our great King. Our living Lord, the one who's given us his power to live victorious in this day and age. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you, hopefully, on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m.